All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the GT Power Hour. Welcome back, everybody, to our final show for the year. It's mid-December in the time of COVID, and we had some flurries yesterday that teased the potential winter wonderland, but they melted as quickly as the hope that the pandemic would only be a 2020 thing. PJM just announced that the surge in COVID cases, and more to come as people blatantly ignore travel bans and other public health precautions, has forced it to return to some of its most extreme pandemic response measures just in time for the holidays. So all dispatchers will be celebrating a quarantine Christmas, Kwanzaa, or Hanukkah. At least they'll have plenty of time for online shopping. I'm your host, Rory Sweeney, and with me as always is the incandescent Glenn Thomas. Glenn, I don't know about you, but the gift receiving has already begun for me, and I'm not sure it could get any better. Hail to the football team. All right, lots to unpack there. We'll, we'll get <laughs> yeah. to that poor performance by my Pittsburgh Steelers and yeah. some lousy officiating and some oh, lousy oh, play calling. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to blame it on the officials. I, I will okay. not do that. But uh, you know, cer- certainly my Steelers, uh, you know, if somebody would have told me at the beginning of the year that in mid-December my Steelers team would be 11-1, and one, uh, I'd certainly sign up for that. And uh, they got some work to do. Uh, They have to learn how to catch passes and maybe make some key stops and convert one of seven tries from the one yard line. Uh, (laughs) But they're, uh, they're the Steelers. They'll persevere. They got, uh, they got some real talent. If they can stay healthy, I still like their chances here. So um, nothing would make me happier than to see a Steelers Super Bowl. So you can keep that hope alive, Rory, and uh, we'll, we'll have a little side bet if and when that occurs. All right. Yeah, we will. The football team, and we'll see how where they go with that name. I'm actually kind of warming up to it. I'll I'll take it at this point. As you said, if at the beginning of the season someone told me that the team would be the ones to knock off the last undefeated this season, I would have taken that too, which is probably saying <laughs> a lot more uh, about my expectations for the season than it does about yours. You you guys expected to be good, and we were. We were not. So uh, five and seven actually looks really good for us. I don't, you know, this is funny. I don't know if you saw this. They caught a little bit of audio between the Steelers head coach, Mike Tomlin, and uh, Washington football team's top pick this year. Chase Young, that was true. Yeah, Tomlin said, basically, you're a great player, but I hope I am never such a bad team that I'm in a position to draft you. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting compliment, but um, does not say a lot about the team. Although we're looking better. We're looking better. I'll take that win. I'm, I'm excited for it. We got a good shot to, to sneak into the playoffs. So perhaps there's a yep. possibility. Yep. Yeah, would love to see you guys in Tampa. That's for sure. <laughs> would love, love to get the Lombardi back in PJM service territory. Yeah, that's there you go. Sure. Yep, that's so. true. That's true. You know, you mentioned there in the opening too, Rory, again, I don't want to gloss over it, and that is PJM announced that they re-sequestered their control room operators. Yep. As folks will recall, in the March-April timeframe, I think for a 10-week period, PJM uh, sequestered their control room. The men and women who worked in that facility were living in and sleeping on premises there, working 12-hour shifts, seven days a week. Uh, certainly sacrificing enormous amounts in terms of time with their families. And this week, PJM yet again went back into that sequester mode. So 
Uh, we can't thank those men and women enough for what they're doing right now. Not too many people would recognize them on the streets or know their names, but they're doing an awful lot for, for every single person in this mid-Atlantic region to make sure that that control room stays safe and doing its job. And that is that, you know, keeping our lights on, especially in the winter, uh, when a lot of folks in the footprint are relying on electricity for heat. So thank you to those men and women at, at, at PJM. Yeah, it was one thing when they were doing it during the spring, but here during this holiday season, a lot of them have families uh, at home. I mean, immediate families that they would be spending time with, not even traveling as they're not supposed to, but they're being sequestered away from that. And, you know, to your point, it really is a significant sacrifice at, at this point and one that is is somewhat disappointing that we've had to go back to. So you, you have to you know, tip your hat to them. You have to say thank you for making that sacrifice when others would not. Yeah. To the extent anybody's listening who can do anything about this, let's get those folks the vaccine right off the bat. I mean, yes, we, we got to take care of our emergency room workers and healthcare workers, uh, emergency responders, but we're not talking about that many people, maybe two dozen people who could really benefit from getting that vaccine early. And they play an enormously important role. So, yeah. Well, Glenn, it's the last episode of the year. What we wanted to do is instead of bringing in a new guest this time, we kind of wanted to reflect. So we thought it'd be a really good time to sit back and consider how the year has gone for us. And just over a year ago was when we started this podcast. If you listen to the last episode, you heard us give a brief anniversary celebration to ourselves, but we had a pretty big guest, so we didn't spend a lot of time on that. Well, we're back this month. We're spending a little more time on that. Glenn, it's been a year. If you had been sitting here last October and thinking, what would this podcast look like in a year? Did you have any expectation that we'd be where we are right now? Yeah, I mean, no is the short answer. And when you and I started this thing, you know, we had a couple of things we wanted to make sure we accomplished. And in many respects, we exceeded all those. You know, we managed to make this conversation uh, about more than just ourselves. We managed to have conversations that were very relevant to the hot issues of the day. Uh, we've gotten some fascinating personal insights into a lot of very public figures, which is, you know, always interesting to hear and I think helpful. Because, you know, yes, regulators make decisions, but they're also people, too, who have families and passions and sports interests and backgrounds and, and role models and things like that. You know, we've seen the CEO of one of the largest energy companies in, in the country talking about his role models in the energy space. Yeah. And, and a shout out to all our listeners. You know, one of the things that's also been kind of amazing is to watch the uptake on, in terms of folks who are listening to this and the feedback we get from you, all our listeners. So keep that coming. We're, we're listening. You know, we're trying to keep our program fresh and relevant. Uh, we want to make sure we're, we're talking about things that you all care about. And, you know, we've been able to get some feedback along the way that's really helped in that endeavor. So thank you for that. So, yeah, it's been a heck of a ride and uh, can't wait for 2021. Yeah, I think we've got a lot to build on for, for next year, and we've got a bunch of different plans that are coming in. Glenn, let's let's review the year so far in PJM. And I mean, I, I say the year so far, we've only got a little bit left, but who knows, uh, something else could blow up in the next couple of weeks. And we've already talked about the pandemic and, and COVID and everyone. Obviously, that is the top story for the year. It's everybody's top story. Let's remove that from the running. So sans the pandemic... Let's talk about our top three 
storylines or narratives within PJM, or if you want to expand a little bit beyond PJM, let's count down. We'll each alternatively do this. So starting from three. All right. um, So my number three story for 2020, and folks may actually be surprised if this isn't a little higher, uh, but I think I have two stories that are bigger than this one in PJM. And the third biggest story of 2020 in PJM is the Moper. Uh, and folks will recall December 19th of last year, we saw a pretty significant order come out from FERC as it relates to the minimum offer price rule. And for those folks who may not be familiar with it, it's a rule that basically sets floors by which certain resources who are receiving subsidies can bid into PJM's annual capacity auctions. Uh, this has been a long time discussion, both at PJM and FERC. We saw a, an extremely broad order from the commission on December 19th, extremely controversial. The early part of 2020, there was a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of back and forth, a lot of outrage, a lot of discussions at the state level, at the PJM level. And we spent most of 2020 trying to figure out how to implement what Burke put forth. Uh, We worked through a lot of issues as it relates to MOPR, several compliance filings, legal challenges had occurred. And as we enter 2021, Burke is largely done. Uh, at least for now, with the MOPR, the courts may still have something to say about that December 19th order, but now it's it's on implementation, and it's going to be, you know, like I said, we don't want to get into 2021 yet, but um, that's, you know, probably going to be one of the bigger stories going forward to next year, but certainly when you look back at 2020, conversations about the MOPR were, were, were constant in PJM, and like I said, that's why I have it as my number three story for the year. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, spoiler alert, I actually didn't put the Moper in my top three, and, and and PJM watchers will probably suggest that I don't know what I'm talking about, that I should have put it in there. But I do feel like, I guess to your point, it, it's been going on for a long time, so it's been a storyline uh, in PJM for I mean, I guess what the uh, Calpine's complaint was in 2016, uh, and and it was certainly before that, uh, Calpine's complaint at FERC that sort of touched off this docket, uh, and it was obviously in existence before. That's been going on for a long time, and interestingly, I think all of my choices, they all have uh, an underlying thread, and as does the Moper, and I guess another spoiler alert here will be that you know, that underlying threat has a lot to do with climate action, states implementing policies to develop renewable resources and to take action on climate. And, you know, the MOPR is uh, a reaction to that and states making technology preferences. So I think you're absolutely right. I didn't put it in my top three because it's been going on for a long time, but I, I certainly would accept any criticism that we received that I don't know what I'm talking about for not putting it in. So. Yeah, I think a lot of folks could argue that it's number one, quite frankly. Yeah. I think there's a case to be made that it's number one. But like I said, I, I actually have two ahead of that. Uh, so my number three And I will say that all of my choices are probably uh, weighted more towards later in the year. And that's probably a bias just because it's what's been going on most recently. But I decided that my number three was going to be carbon pricing. And this is also probably uh, one that you can say has been sort of existing for a long time. But this was the year that we actually got a carbon pricing task force in which uh, PJM, Uh, actually actively started discussing 
the idea of carbon pricing and how that might be integrated into its markets and how it might be accommodated into its processes and you know what could this actually look like which they have been very clear to say that the RTO is not looking to implement a carbon price and they have been very specific about saying this is not intended to create the uh, structure for implementing a carbon price but it's just to say that what would we need to do if states took carbon action and we needed to accommodate them in our markets and if you combine that with the late year action from FERC on carbon pricing to hold the technical conference and to then put out their policy position and to invite grid operators and ISOs to file carbon pricing proposals for FERC to consider and approve. When you, when you sort of wrap that all together, we're, we're moving significantly faster than I feel like we ever have before, number one. And then just the other day at the Carbon Pricing Task Force, uh, they reviewed a study that was done by uh, an economics consultancy and was uh, funded by EPSA and put some real thought into what is the best way to move forward with this that could achieve these goals, which I really feel like has only been theoretical discussion up until now. So I thought that was a really interesting study. Obviously, there was criticism of it, as there often is with studies that take a specific position or suggest a a preferred path to implementation. But I felt like it was one of the first real investigations into this that we have seen, at least in PJM, and how this might work in the RTL. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, and we probably should have said up top, Rory and I have not compared our lists. Uh, <laughs> so we thought it would be a more interesting conversation and surprise each other a little with our stories. And uh, so uh, Rory's number three was my number one. Huh. Um, oh, I okay. Thought, I thought but but from a for slightly different reasons. Okay. And uh, so under the general heading of carbon, I would say what what was in my mind the biggest storyline of 2020 is the evolution of the carbon discussion at FERC. And if you think about again where we were at this time last year versus where we are now, uh, since you know since that time we have seen a petition filed before FERC by an incredibly broad. A collection of interests. Um, we're talking consumers, we're talking generators, we're talking environmentalists, we're talking wind developers, we're talking storage folks. Um, you know, heck, even API uh, had got in the game. They didn't sign the petition, but they were supportive of the technical conference. So you saw a broad coalition of stakeholders come before FERC and said, hey, we would like to talk about carbon with you. Then we saw carbon pricing technical conference on September 30th. You know, it went for what nine, ten hours. Yeah, uh, incredibly deep and thoughtful conversation. You had CEOs from major companies. You had some of the most preeminent economists in the field talking about this. Um, you had the chairman of uh, the commission, Neil Chatterjee, and he spoke at length on on several podcasts about you know his um, belief in the importance of carbon pricing. And, and I mean, think about that in and of itself. You know, an appointee of the Trump administration leaving a federal agency. Um, spearheading conversations about carbon and encouraging those. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the evolution of the carbon discussion and, you know, very, very high profile Republicans coming out and speaking uh, the way they are and and business interests uh, coming out where they are speaking about the need to do something at carbon 
I think is going, you know, is in my mind, the most significant story of 2020 and one uh, that will propel obviously forward. So um, that was my number one. Glenn, let me ask you this on that, just following on a thread that you mentioned there, how much do you think the progression of the election and where predictions were going and how it's people were sort of reading the tea leaves and seeing where things were going, that there would be a Biden victory. How much do you think that that played in to this and how much movement there has been? I mean, it's changing. I mean, the the, the conversation on carbon has been changing steadily over the last five, six years. And I think it, it, it just took a pretty big step forward in 2020. Uh, did the election have something to do with it? Maybe, but I don't want to give that too much credit, if, if you will, for the, uh, for, for, for the acceleration. I think it's a combination of a couple things. You know, one, a realization that there's a need to do something, a realization that politically our country and our voters are demanding that our elected officials do something about it. A recognition that, you know, renewable resources are getting more cost effective. Uh, you see wind and solar resources being very competitive. And you look at the PGMQ where 88% of the projects in that queue are either wind, solar or storage. The market dynamics are changing. And I think for those folks who are investing billions of dollars in the marketplace, they're recognizing business opportunities uh, from investing in these resources. So I think it's a combination of a lot of factors. Uh, but you know, what in, in my mind has been the interesting thing is to watch uh, the universe of folks who are willing to speak about the need to address carbon and the value of doing it through carbon pricing is expanding enormously. And that accelerated significantly in 2020. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, in our last podcast episode, Commissioner Chatterjee mentioned that he's been laying the groundwork for doing the technical conference and putting out the policy paper. He's been laying that groundwork for a while. Yep. Uh, and so there was a lot of sort of observations that, hey, it seemed like maybe he was testing the winds. But I, I tend to agree with him that it's not something that you can just throw together at the last second. All right. Number two. And again, remember, I said that there is sort of common threads behind all of this. Number two, I feel like for uh, 2020 was the ELCC conversation, which ELCC stands for Effective Load Carrying Capability, which is essentially was developed as a methodology to calculate capacity value for intermittent and duration limited resources. So uh, energy storage devices that can only run for a certain period of time or wind and solar resources, renewables that aren't dispatchable, which is to say basically what are their values when we can't rely on them to be able to run 24-7 whenever we need them to operate. And the reason this was a big deal in PJM for those who don't pay this close of attention is up until now, all of the capacity valuations were based on the ability to run for a 24-hour period. Uh, because that's how much the system operators were anticipating needing to be able, if there was an issue, for having a generator to run. So all of the valuations were based on this 24-hour period. And when you get these resources that either, A, you can't rely when they're going to run, because they're only going to run when the wind is blowing or the sun is shining, or uh, duration-limited storage resources that can only run for a certain period of time, one of the arguments was, well, 
what we have to do then is just take the amount that they can run and spread it over a 24 hour period. And whatever that amount of uh, ability is, that's how much value they get in the market. But the other side argued that no, this is specific to duration limited resources. Our value is in being able to run at the specific times when there are peak issues and to sort of come on and add that just that little bit of value when we can. And then the question for intermittent resources was, well, what is there's value there, but what is it exactly since we don't know if we can rely on it. So this was a very long conversation that went on throughout the year at PJM. Uh, and they eventually agreed, and, and this was spurred and pushed by some requirements by FERC that they get a solution in by late October or else subject themselves to uh, a hearing at FERC that, that the PJM stakeholders couldn't control. So they ran to the deadline of this filing, got something in. It is a filing that not everybody loves, uh, obviously. There's, there's rarely things at PJM that are universally loved. And um, there are some questions with it, but it got sent to FERC. It is now in FERC's hands to consider. The results of this are essentially this ELCC methodology. One of the most controversial parts of the filing was this idea of guaranteed floors for the next 10 years. So any resources that come in will have a guaranteed value uh, for their specific year. And that was obviously um, a concern in the market of creating guarantees so far down in the future. But it's a creative solution, I feel, to a very sticky problem. Um, and you know, once we sort of work out the final details of how this works, I think it'll be a very effective way of coming to an agreement what these resources are actually worth. Yeah, and this is a good issue. And obviously, I mean, this is one that could maybe reappear on even next year's list because, you know, at a high level, and you did a great job sort of summarizing it, but at a high level, it makes sense, right? You know, intermittents are going to be penetrating the grid more and more. They have different reliability profiles than, you know, your traditional, you know, gas, nuclear, and coal units. Uh, there needs to be a way to making sure that reliability is maintained as we see more and more of these units. And it's more dynamic, as you said, because, um, you know, you're relying on wind and the sun in many cases for that reliability equation. So uh, I, I think conceptually, there's a lot of a agreement in terms of where PJM wants to head with it. But like with all PJM rules, and you and I have both seen this over the years and years we've been dealing with PJM, the details are really, really important. Yeah, and they can get really, really sticky. So yeah. um, obviously big issue in 2020, but it, this, this strikes me as an issue that we're going to be wrestling with, you know, probably on and off for quite some time. In PJM. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you completely that this is certainly not the only year that this will be discussed. It certainly wasn't completed in 2020 and the resolution may not even come in, in 2021, the final resolution. So who do you have for what do you have for number two? Number two, I'm going uh, generically with utility scandals. Okay. Uh, I'm talking yeah, I'm talking specifically about Illinois and Ohio here. Sure, yeah. And we, we, we detailed them actually a couple times on the podcast. We had Todd Snitchler, our former uh, chairman of the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio as well, and now current CEO of the Electric Power Supply Association. But, you know, you look at Ohio and Illinois, uh, two states that passed pretty significant energy legislation in the last two years. 
uh, two states in which the local incumbent utilities enjoyed uh, enormous political sway. And in many respects, uh, the chickens came home to roost mm -hmm. um, in 2020. And you saw criminal charges brought forth in, in actually both states. You know, the factual patterns on the ground are slightly different in both states, but or the underlying theme of both states is you had the, the, the large local utility using its financial resources to influence uh, the political process to the financial advantage of the company. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, it, the story started, <laughs> the story started long before 2020, but uh, the fact that it became publicly revealed in 2020, in my mind, was extremely significant. And it's going to have uh, broad or long-ranging implications, both in those states as well as in other states, as you know, I think folks are realizing the, um, you know, the tremendous, the, the tremendous risk of uh, operating an environment in which um, the, the local utility companies through their financial resources are having an inordinate influence on public policy. So that's my number two. And uh, like I said, this story is still being written. I think we're going to see more and more revelations as we move forward. I mean, in Ohio, we've already seen you know, the Speaker of the House charge. We've seen the Public Utility Commission chair resign. Uh, we've seen similar uh, moves in Illinois with folks resigning or being charged. And this one's going to continue to play out. But certainly in 2020, this was a this was a big deal. And I think will continue to be a big deal moving forward. Yeah, and I think another layer to that, if you pull the camera back a little bit more, uh, is the connection with nuclear subsidies, obviously. And, mm -hmm. you know, both of these scandals driving through nuclear subsidies for nuclear units in those states is what sort of begat the scandals. And, you know, we pull that, we pull that camera back a little bit more and you see issues going on in New Jersey on a similar topic. You know, New York has been dealing with that. There's rumblings in Maryland and there was, there was some discussion in Pennsylvania, although it looks like that's not uh, gonna happen now. Um, you know, so the whole nuclear subsidy discussion and what do we do about nuclear units is a tie-in theme that is slightly different, but also part of this, that again, that common thread of the changing grid and the transition uh, and, and the fallout from that is another part of that narrative and what's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And you can already see the battle line shaping up for 2021. I mean, Exelon has said they're going to clo close a couple uh, additional facilities in Illinois if they don't receive subsidies from uh, the Illinois General Assembly. Uh, the folks in Ohio are going to have a debate on this in 2021. So yeah, this this story continues. But uh, like I said, 2020 was a big year as it relates to, you know, I think the big picture issues associated with this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So top issues. Now, Glenn, I, I know that we already revealed yours. Would you like to call an audible and pick something else? Sure. I'll tell you what, yeah, since I already mentioned carbon was my number one issue, uh, I actually have a number four issue okay. I'll go with, and then I'll let you uh, you go ahead and, and sure. do the number one issue. But my, my number four issue was uh, new leadership at PJM. Okay. Uh, at the beginning of 2020, Manu Ashana took over as CEO of PJM, and uh, he, that's a big job. I think uh, all of us appreciate the challenges associated 
with uh, running an organization like PJN, managing stakeholders, keeping the grid on, um, dealing with regulators. But, you know, Manu got served up a pretty, an incredibly significant curveball with the COVID situation. And, you know, at one point in my life, I had an opportunity to, to, to run an organization. And when you run an organization through turbulent times, you know, you really take on a, a different burden associated with that when you're particularly when you're talking about the health of the, the men and women in your organization and he had to forget about that 100 day plan he had uh, he now had to stand up an additional control center get his folks operating remotely you know meanwhile like i said keeping the, the lights on and doing all the necessarily necessary regulatory and stakeholder support necessary to do so uh, he took a stakeholder process that sees, you know, over 400 meetings a year, moved that all to a virtual platform. Uh, he took his operations, again, which, which requires a significant presence on site. Uh, but uh, those who couldn't be or didn't need to be on site were moved off site. It was a very significant management challenge that I think he handled extremely well. You know, at some point, we're going to get back more into normal operations and it'll start more looking like a traditional a rhythm to PJM. And, you know, he certainly has challenges ahead of him. But, uh, you know, for, for, for a leader to come into an organization, particularly one as challenging to manage as PJM and to be hit with um, the COVID situation as quickly in his uh, tenure, I think was, uh, was an incredibly significant story. Probably one that's maybe underappreciated a little bit, but I don't, I don't think it should be. I think, uh, you know, the management challenges he faced and conquered uh, during 2020 uh, were, 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 were significant and noteworthy. Yeah, that is very true. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a great suggestion for a, a top storyline, which I agree with you is kind of under the radar a little bit because we weren't, we weren't in the building at all. Right. throughout the year for most of the year. So, you know, there was less opportunities to sort of bump into and talk to Manu and the uh, the new staff or the, the changing staff there. You know, we, we haven't, as stakeholders, had an opportunity to really have uh, engagement with them on an individual uh, in-person level. And so that, I feel like, has made the story a little, fall to the background a little bit when, when there are issues that you can see right in front of you, or in this case, on your computer screen more often. And so, yeah, on one hand, you could say, well, he, he got a little bit of a reprieve because he didn't have to do all of the in-person stuff that he otherwise might have had to do. But to your point, the pandemic is just unprecedented. And there were there were so many, I'm sure, just hard decisions and calls. The, the sequestration alone is, Oof, is yeah. a tough tough call to make um, that they've had to make that we might not even know about uh, all of right. the tough decisions they've had to make. And, you know, in his first year with no track record and, and no sort of history to look back on, it's what's the best way to do this. Um, you know, you, you just kind of have to um, call some shots and see what happens. And, and so far uh, from what I've seen, he's, he's done a really good job on calling those shots and, and, and the plays have worked out. Yeah, and keep in mind, he was coming in from outside the building, too. So he was yeah. unfamiliar with, you know, virtually everybody in that building. I'm sure he had some relationships with some folks, but for the most part, he was coming in um, and facing these challenges with without any prior history with these people. And in many respects, P PJM is a people business. Uh, I mean, yes, we are very caught up in the engineering and the and, and the policy, but um, particularly the CEO mm -hmm. has to be an ambassador for that organization. That, that ultimately is a is a people business. 
um, that that um, you know is 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 tough to do in a pandemic situation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. One one of the the most familiar plaudits for former CEO Terry Boston that I hear all the time whenever I've, and I never met Terry, but I hear this all the time is he was such a great people person. He, he started all of these great staffing uh, programs and really built up the, the, the culture that is PJM and people love him for that. And that also is one of the main criticisms that I hear um, that people observe about the immediately former CEO Andy Ott that they say that he wasn't as much of a people person. So to your point, it, it seems of like a very technical and uh, engineering focused organization, but everything that I hear talks about the personal relationships and, and um, discussions with people. So uh, if Manu is able to successfully do that, he's already being successful at, at the uh, job. Yep. Yep. Okay. I chose my number one on this theory. So, you know, like when you're at a creek or a river or something like that, and the sun is reflecting off the water and there's wind blowing and you can see ripples and it looks like the river is going in one direction and uh, the, the waves look like they're going one way. But in reality, under the surface, the currents are doing something completely different that you don't even know. And so the mass of the water is doing one thing while what you can see on the surface looks like it's doing something else. You know that effect, you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that? You know, you know what I mean there? Uh, yeah, since I spent most of my time underwater these days, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so, so I chose mine based on that theory. This is a ongoing story that has been going on for a long time in PJM that doesn't really get a lot of publicity because it's kind of confusing. Well, that's, it's pretty confusing, but there have been some discussions of it more recently, and it has really kind of blown up in the past couple of months. And that is frustrations with the interconnection queue. And the story behind this is that to interconnect to the PJM grid and get access to the advantages of wholesale interstate markets, you don't just tap into the closest transmission line that you see. You have to go to PJM. You have to tell them what you want to do. It's this very long, multi-year process. It can be very expensive. It can be tedious. And it takes several different studies that all have to be done and that get done not just once, but as the system, because it continues to change, get done multiple times potentially as things change that will impact the results of your study. And so this goes on for a long time. And th there've been a lot of complaints. And what PJM has found is that there's, there's some validity to these complaints. They announced that for this year, 2020, they have successfully completed on time 1% of the final studies for interconnection. And there's three separate wow. studies, 1%. And that's actually an improvement from last year. Wow. <laughs> last year was 0%. Wow. And that's on top of, when you think about, they've got all of these studies late that are piling up. Factor in the fact that they have actually broken records the past two years for the number of study requests. So not only are they coming out late and there's a backup in the house, there's a backup coming in to the building of new requests. So anyone that's at the back of the line right now is behind everybody else 
and it's going to be late. And so this this frustration has kind of, I think, come to a boiling point this year. The board heard these frustrations and directed PJM to do uh, a series of workshops on this topic and uh, figure out what can be done and what solutions there are. Staff, to their credit, have been working on this. They've been trying to get meaner, get more efficient on getting this done. But the first workshop was last month. And I don't, I've been doing these meetings for a while, and I'm not sure that I have heard that many different voices of people that I have never heard from before come in and so vociferously criticize or have complaints about what's going on. It was just like, new person after new person after new person coming up with with concerns about this process. The next one is supposed to be a listening uh, session for PJM. There's at least a dozen, if not more, presentations from stakeholders about their concerns with the interconnection process. And full disclosure, one of those presentations is from our fellow GT Power Group colleague, Jeff Whitehead, for one of his clients. So there are a a significant amount of concerns with this, and it's been going on for a while. And Glenn, I know we have had some internal discussions just briefly about this, about what do we do? uh, Can we be helpful? And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what we've, is it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a mess and there's not a lot that can be done here and there's really no straightforward solution, but we are hearing a lot of people, a lot of stakeholders say something bold has got to get done because this can't, it's not just tweaks on the edges. There is some major recrafting of this that needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, this is a great one because I mean, this is one where like the laws of physics are butting up against the realities of the marketplace Yep, yep. in, in a very challenging way. And, you know, I mentioned 88% of the queue is, you know, solar and wind projects and storage. Those projects are also really small when compared to thousand megawatt gas, coal, you know, or nuclear facilities. So you're seeing an evolution of the grid from these large central station power facilities to these diffuse um, smaller distributed resources, which is which is good. I mean, this is progress. Um, you know, this is you know where the market's headed. This is what consumers want. However, uh, you still have to wrestle with the laws of physics, and in, in order to do that, certain very objective criteria need to be met, and it's it's incredibly challenging. I mean, this is certainly, I think, going to be a growth field in in, in the area. If, if anybody out there is a college engineering student right now <laughs> or is a parent of a college engineering student, get them uh, to take a couple classes in transmission planning. Because, Absolutely. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people hiring in this space going forward because it's, it's, this, this challenge is not going away. It's critically important. And first of all, I applaud PJM for recognizing that they have a problem. It would have been nice maybe if they recognized it a year or two ago, uh, maybe three or four ago, because it was probably foreseeable. But getting PJM over that hump is significant. The solutions were easy. They would have been done by now. The solutions are not going to be easy on this one. But I agree with you, Rory. It got to get done because the current state of affairs is just, I mean, we have clients who are wrestling with it all the time. And it's, it's, it's very, very challenging, you know, when you're dealing with lenders, vendors, you know, landowners, uh, you know, uh, there's just way too much variability in that PJM side of the equation right now to to have any regulatory certainty in this space. And that's ultimately going to be the development of these projects that we really need. 
Yeah, and and to your point, to, you know, I, I think it it should be clarified that it's not. This isn't a PJM staff failure. It's not necessarily that they haven't been doing what they need to do. This is a question of physics and right. how this all happens, and it's just a very complicated situation that each project takes a long time. And we add a bunch of projects together. It's just exponentially amplifying the concern. And you know, this happens in industries, I feel like all the time when, you know, where, where it's hard to estimate what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and to be prepared for it. And you just, everyone says, well, how do you avoid that? And sometimes, sometimes you can't, you just need to deal with the problem when it occurs. And that seems to be where we are. Uh, but hopefully we can come up with some creative solutions really fast uh, because otherwise there's going to be pain and frustration for quite some time. Yep. Well said. All right. Well, those were seven good stories there, Rory. Uh, yeah, I thought we did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our yeah, listeners yeah. got a bonus story because we repeated on one of them. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I, my number four, and it was kind of pretty close to your number four that I thought would be an interesting thing to discuss. And maybe we'll come back to this in later episodes uh, is this idea of tensions with the stakeholder process. And mm. we are seeing a lot in, in 2020. And for anyone who is, is tangentially involved with PJM, you'll have seen this at some of the higher level, the MRC and the MC. Uh, and just sort of, some people have described it as an arms race or short circuiting the process and going around the stakeholder group structure and processes that have been created for how projects or how uh, proposals and how solutions are developed at lower committees and sort of work their way up and slowly get evolved and crafted as more stakeholders from different perspectives get involved and how this goes. And it's this whole idea of PJM calls it CBEER. It's the um, I forget what CBR stands for, uh, but it's it's this process of, of dispute resolution. Well, for quite some time now, people have been attempting to get their issues past certain levels where there's just structural roadblocks to getting certain things passed. And they have found ways to sort of bypass all of that. And that has created frustration on the other side that they're being bypassed. And now, like I said, we're in this sort of arms race of getting issues past structural roadblocks in ways that the people that have created those roadblocks, they did it purposefully because they didn't want these things to happen. And we're, we're kind of getting into this situation where uh, everybody is finding shortcuts to around what's how the stakeholder structure was created and it's creating frustration all around. I don't know if you're seeing that as much, Glenn, uh, you know, from an external uh, perspective, but I certainly hear about it on a regular basis uh, during these meetings on all levels. Yeah, I'm not sure I have that much to add. I mean, there, there always is, is sort of this tension, you know, there, right? And I think yeah. every stakeholder feels like, you know, they're they're underrepresented or for some reason do not enjoy you know, the appropriate level of, um, you know, strength, if you will, in the, in the committee process. But it, it, I think it's always there. And again, I think there's another one. Once we get back in a normal rhythm of things, we'll be you know, probably in a better position to evaluate. Yeah. So, so that was our 2020 in review. Glenn, what, what, what do you think we got on tap for 2021? Yeah, 20, 2020 was a huge year. I mean, yeah. in terms of uh, things that were happening on, on so many levels. 
looking forward to 2021, I see, you know, obviously the big change is going to be a change in leadership at FERC, a new administration, yep. you know, the priorities of a new administration coming in and having an impact on potentially all the issues we talked about. So, you know, all eyes on FERC, all eyes. Uh, I should say there might be some, you know, maybe that is not as immediate down there as folks think. Uh, just because the way the terms of the commissioners are structured down there, it's not like on day one. Uh, you know, certainly you could see a new chair of the commission on um, on day one, and there's there's now two sitting Democrats on FERC. Uh, you have to imagine the chairmanship will go to one of those two individuals, and the chair wields enormous power at FERC, but uh, the chair ultimately can't do a lot unless uh, that chair has the the majority of the commissioners, and that's going to be three commissioners. So. It could take some time for some of those dynamics to shape out, but I can, you can certainly start to see FERC taking some action on, like I said, many of these issues we talked about. And then the other issue is at the state level, I think Ohio and Illinois, we, as I mentioned earlier, we'll watch to see how these you know, continue, you know, continued fallout from these scandals and you know, continued conversations about uh, revised energy policies in those states. I could also see New Jersey. Uh, potentially getting involved in some legislative activity to be determined. Uh, New Jersey is an election year over there, so that that mm. actually probably argues against legislative activity. But I think another fascinating story to watch in 2021 is the relationship between the FERC and the states under new leadership at the FERC. I mean, you've had some state commissioners in the in the PJM footprint, you know, fairly or unfairly criticizing uh, the current FERC. Will that change? Uh, will we see a renewed emphasis on FERC state relations? Will the tensions get better? Or will they get worse? I think that's mm-hmm. something I'm certainly keeping an eye on. And then the other thing too, just for 2021, let's hope you know we're sitting here at this time next year, you know, back into a normal normal rhythm of both work and life. Hopefully, we're attending meetings at PJM again. Hopefully, uh, we're going to PJM annual meetings, having those face to face conversations that are so valuable and. You know, I'm certainly optimistic that um, we're going to be we're going to be back to a world that looks a lot like where we were, and so hope springs eternal. Yeah, I, that was I was going to say is this might be slightly presumptuous, but assuming that in 2021 things go back to quote unquote normal, what will the uh, what will the load look like? What will the day to day energy demand uh, be like? PJM has shown throughout the year they've been keeping track of how the uh, daily demand is significantly below what it would be in a quote-unquote weather normalized year. Uh, And if that, will that return? I mean, I'm not even saying if it returns, will that return? We've heard lots of rumblings about people just staying in um, uh, work remotely or work from home posture with their companies and you know they'll be getting rid of office space they, they, they've found out they don't need it so what will the quote-unquote back to normal business as usual look like because it probably won't look like it was and what impacts will that have maybe maybe not that much but I think that will be one of the interesting stories for 2021. Yeah, and I, I think you're on to something there, Rory, actually, because uh, I was on a call yesterday with actually the Speaker of the House in Maryland, and she was mentioning that they're looking at policies to continue to allow folks to work from home post-pandemic, uh, recognizing the environmental benefits, the traffic benefits, things like that, Yeah, having folks work remotely. So if public policymakers start to do a few things to actually encourage work from home situations, 
yeah, you could certainly see situations, particularly in the summer, where folks need to, you know, keep both their houses and their offices cool. And yeah. what does that mean to mean to load? So yeah, I, I I think I think you're absolutely right. This could one of the interesting things that could spurn out of this is more demand for electricity uh, than we might have anticipated uh, because of that dynamic. And and in different places, which right. you know. Good point. Yeah, and the way that PJM's planning that they always keep track of is, you know, the, the the grid is what it is, but it is designed for sort of the system that is what we see or what we anticipate seeing. And this is obviously throwing a, a monkey wrench into a lot of that. So so we don't know what the uh, topology of the system will look like uh, when, when they do all these changes and um, what it will be when people are working from home. One thing that PJM mentions is this idea of weather sensitive load, which is the suggestion that if it's hotter outside or it's colder outside, which sectors use more or less power. And residential load is significantly more weather sensitive than commercial load. Uh, so the more that people have been working from home and there've been more residential demand, they've seen spikes in this weather sensitive load. And that creates a lot more uh, unpredictability and a lot more vacillation in the demand based on what the weather is out there. So that could really um, change how we keep track of stuff as well. All right, Glenn, now let's get back to our, our usual schedule here. We are running near to the end. How about we talk about our two minutes of advice? As you know, uh, but I will remind our listeners, this is the part of the show where we get two minutes one-on-one uh, -on -one with anybody anywhere to talk about anything that we think they need to know. Glenn, what do you got this month? Yeah, and for my two minutes of advice this month, I'm actually going to take a little bit of a compilation of the advice our guests have given to our, our listeners from through, throughout the year. And it goes to our, our, our listeners. And, you know, again, we thank our listeners so much and we appreciate the feedback that they've given us. You know, but as, as Phil Moeller told us earlier this year, please, you know, stay healthy, stay sane. These are challenging times. Uh, we all need to take a little time for ourselves to, to enjoy that. Um, you know, Commissioner uh, LaFleur, when she was on, offered a salutation to her friends that she misses seeing them. And I, I echo that as well. So, you know, thank you all for, for listening to the show in 2020. We, we, like I said, hope for great things in 2021. But also, please take some time to enjoy these holidays, however you can enjoy them this year. Take a little break, take a little time to do something extra that you don't normally get to do. Spend those times with the, the loved ones close to you um, in a safe way. Um, and know that we are real, real close uh, to getting back to a much more normal way of living. Let's just hang on here and get this thing done. And you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look back at 2020 one day uh, with a lot of memories that we like to forget, but also memories of things that that made us stronger. And at the end of the day, that's what I, I hope for out of this. So happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to continuing the conversation in 2021. Well, I too am going to compile some of the advice that we have received from guests over the year. We're doing a, a retrospective show. So that's what I will do as well. But I'm going to take a little bit of the curmudgeon's perspective on this, Glenn. We've had quite a few guests provide advice on COVID and how people should respond. And now it's my turn to add to the chorus, stay home. 
if you don't have to travel, don't be at home unless you absolutely have to go somewhere. I get it. It's hard. But this doesn't end until everybody cooperates and gets on board. You know, one of the things that I noticed not too long ago was, uh, you know, there's, there's college football going on, but college football has been consistently sensitive to COVID issues. And we have seen all of these games canceled because of outbreaks on campus or something like that. And it occurred to me that, you know, this is a, one of, this is a weird situation where the students at the school actually have an impact on how their sports programs do and not only do but if they do at all so this is going to take everybody making hard decisions and saying do i actually have to go out today or not can i get six feet away from this person or not will i actually put my mask on over my nose or not we don't have the vaccine yet we don't have rapid testing yet that there are sacrifices, and as you mentioned, this is a hard year, but there are sacrifices that need to be made, uh, and uh, everyone needs to make those hard decisions to do that. I know we, my family, um, canceled our uh, Thanksgiving plans, and we're probably going to cancel our Christmas plans as well. My mom uh, has actually, uh, f- she flew down to Texas not too long ago. Um, because there was a death in the family that she was working with. And we had some folks say like, why is she going to Texas? This is, you know, that's like, that's, that's, there's, there's all kinds of issues going on there. So I get it that there are extenuating circumstances. There are serious reasons that people do need to travel. And I do appreciate that she had to do that. But the more that people can only do what is absolutely required and otherwise follow the public health guidelines that are out there, the sooner this will be over and the sooner that we can get back to doing the things that we all love to do. And as you said, get back to business as as usual. Okay. So one of our final sections for the show is how do we perform this month? Glenn, you got the clock over there. I'm pretty certain we are under the one hour mark. So we're definitely going to get you out of here in less than the power hour that we always commit to doing. Yes. Thanks again to our listeners for listening. And again, happy holidays and stay safe, everybody. Yeah, we will see you next year. Glenn, any any final thoughts? Yeah, be excellent to each other, Rory. Yeah, always, as always, you know, I feel bad about saying this, but I have yet to watch that movie. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I will I will have it. While I, am, I am saying that here. My 2021 preview is that I will have my Bill and Ted reaction for the first episode of 2021. I, I promise you that. I'm going to do that. All right. Yep, I'll, I'll join you in that. I'll join you yeah? in that. Yeah? All right. Good. We'll, we'll All right. That. Good. We're going to do it. All right. Well, on that note, be excellent to each other. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the GT Power Hour. The views expressed on the show represent those of the hosts and not necessarily any GT Power Group client. For more information, please visit www.gtpowergroup.com. That's G-T-P-O-W-E-R-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.